we're sending money out of Syracuse and not just for 30 years, for the rest of their life. But when you are told that there's a promise that your generation will be better than the previous generation, and we're seeing that the statistics tells us that that's not the case, it's evidently clear that it only is going to change if we are going to be the ones who fight for our future. So we want to put in context because it's not just a class issue, it's a race issue. We're telling black and brown people and poor people, you don't matter. Welcome to today's episode of Afro Futures. You already know me, I'm Youssef, and before we hit the live button, I was having a, a conversation with a really important brother, a friend of mine, a former roommate, uh, an activist, a scholar, uh, a musician, an artist, just a brilliant person, a great fucking dad, mm. um, which is um, probably the more of the important hats that you wear. Mm -hmm. um, but we were, we were, I wanna let folks know I got a little cold, so forgive the sniffles. Um, we, we, were, we were joking about a story about a time that we spent together. But before I get into that story, I, I do want to introduce properly uh, Pierce Freelon. Pierce is, as I said, an activist, a scholar, a father, a politician, an intellectual, a person who I had gotten to know in our time in Syracuse University together um, when he was a graduate student in Pan-African Studies and I was an undergraduate. Um, I have... And I think it's important for everyone who's listening to this show that we are called Afrofuturists because I aspire to be an Afrofuturist. I would not know about Afrofuturism in the way that I do today. Um, and I would not understand Pan-Africanism and really the relationship between Afrofuturism and Pan-Africanism in the way that I do, but not for the conversations that I had with this brother as an undergraduate. Um, so I just wanna first say thank you um, for taking the time here today to be with me, especially on the announcement of you being Grammy nominated. And we're gonna talk about that, but I, I really wanted to make sure that people understood who I was talking to today <laughs> and the excitement I have. So thank you, Pierce, for coming and welcome to Afro Futures. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, brother. It's good to see your face. And uh, you know what? Special shout out to Mucus because when, <laughs> when these, when these microorganisms are trying to attack our body, it's mucus that's going to grab it up, bind it, and expel it from our body. So those sniffles that you hear are actually uh, a reflection of your internal resiliency, purging you of the uh, colonizers that are trying to take over your vessel, my brother. So, you know, I, I, I welcome the sniffles today. The colonizers are even in the sniffles, I tell you. They're, they're everywhere. We cannot escape them. Listen, um, listen. <laughs> I want to fast forward a bit. I mean, to get to, like, the last time that I, I remember seeing you, not in person, but on PBS, was mm. on a, was on about a, some work that you did at Panama. Mm. And um, I, I'm sure you remember this. And, mm. and... Um, the work, I, I was stunned. I was watching PBS and I was like, yo, is that Pierce? Like in <laughs> Panama and hanging out with some, you know, Afro-Panamanians. And it, it made perfect sense to me as a person who observed you both as a musician and as a person who was talking about and studying Pan-Africanism. I really want to situate this conversation today. Um, and really, I, I hope direct the trajectory of the future of the podcast mm. um, 
in, in this particular episode, both in Pan-Africanism as well as in Afrofuturism. Um, but can you can you really just, if, if you remember intimately that particular um, series that you did, um, can you just talk to people about why you went to Panama? Why was it relevant and what is Pan-Africanism? Because I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate the way that Afro-descended people uh, tra traverse geographic location, mm -hmm. um, both because of historical transatlantic slavery, um, but but also the contributions that our culture has given to humanity through that suffering and through the continued suffering that we've had and our resilience over that suffering. Mm -hmm. Yes, well, I, I love that you're situating this around the future of the podcast. I, my mind was swirling as soon as you said it. I said, huh, pan-Afrofuturism maybe? Or Afro, <laughs> Afro-future pan-Africanism? I don't know, like <laughs> mix it up, what's it gonna be? But yeah, man, um, you know, I think that, you know, growing up in the States, I had a particular education about what it is to be black that was very grounded in white supremacy. And so first of all, that starts with erasure. Like I didn't know nothing about my ancestors beyond slavery. It was like, you know, your life, your history, your legacy starts with being enslaved and it ends with the march on washington you know what i mean and every mlk day we recite the mlk i have a dream speech and we do a little bit of whatever on in february for black history month and that's pretty much it and learning when i got to college about eurocentrism and and the extent to which our curriculums are really revolve you know around the history the culture the accomplishments of europe we weren't reading African authors. We weren't reading women authors. We weren't reading Chinese authors. It was all about Europe, you know, uh, you name it from Shakespeare to, uh, you know, uh, down the line. So it, it was, uh, first of all, Sankofa, which is this Ghanaian term, which means, you know, you need to look back to your history in order to move forward, you know, go back and fetch it, go get your history. So that, that the first piece for me was understanding that black folks are part of a proud, ancient legacy in history and in, in mathematics and technology and science. You know, black folks were significant contributors. And then seeing what happened, how was that disrupted and where did we go? A lot of people don't, yeah, there's, there's black people in Panama, we're in, we're in Puerto Rico, we're in Brazil, the biggest pop, you know, population of black folks in the world outside of Nigeria is in Brazil you know, because of the transatlantic slave trade or, or what we uh, learned to call in, in uh, the Pan-African Studies Department, the Black Holocaust. So that, um, you know, first of all, that history is important. And it's not just a history of, of struggle and of pain. It's a, it's a history of resiliency, of abundance, of intelligence, and of uh, significant contributions to humanity. So what I saw when I went to Panama was I saw myself, I saw my ancestors, I saw my auntie, I saw my grandma, I saw my cousin, you know, I saw my favorite, you know, rappers, my friends, my teachers, I saw them in the faces of these Afro Panamanians who like me are descendants of, you know, this wonderful, proud, beautiful people that were, uh, that were torn away and, and kind of dispersed through this Holocaust, uh, also known as the, as the transatlantic slave trade. And what's dope about Panama, here's the wild thing. 
So I get to Panama, there's like a carnival celebration. It's called the Festival de los Diablos y Congos, all right? And there are people in blackface, you know? And, and you, blackface in, in an American context is something, you know, that we associate with racism. It's like this theater production where white artists, you know, burn a cork and create black soot to put on their faces so they can imitate and ridicule blackness. And so when I saw people in blackface, I was like, what is going on here? Like, what kind of backwards, you know, because my understanding, I didn't understand the context. And getting to talk to people who were there, they said, oh, yeah, we put on blackface to celebrate our blackness, to elevate it, to accentuate it. That's because as a celebration. And then there's these people walking around the Diablos with these big devil masks on, horns, teeth, eyeballs, bulging, and they walk around with whips. Brother Yusuf, you, mm. you walk by them, they'll whip at your feet. Whoa, hey, <laughs> fall back, bro. Like, because they're imitating the colonizers, the devils, yeah. you know, the slaveholders, the conquistadors, those Spanish conquerors and, you know, murderers that are a part of their history. And there's this dance that happens in the community between the Congos, you know, the African people blacked up and the devils, the Diablos, and you know, they get them out of town. The whole festival is about getting these Diablos out of their community uh, and celebrating the Cimarrones, which is the, that's the runaways, the mm -hmm. runaway slaves that, uh, that hit a, stole away to the mountains. And so that, that, and that's important because it tells the story of history. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we have stories, we have songs here in this country that's that tell a, a narrative about the history. The Star Spangled Banner tells a story about history and war and conquering. You know, then you have James Weldon Johnson and the Black National Anthem. That's mm -hmm. a di it's different bars. Yeah. It's it's not the land of the free and the home of the brave. We don't that never applied to us. Uh what did uh Frederick Douglass say like you know what I mean? What is Fourth of July to the Negro? This ain't yes. y'all ain't brave, y'all cowards. Like y'all ain't we ain't free. What you mean? That doesn't apply to us. We had to make our own national anthem with a whole different set of bars. You know what I mean? Sing a song full of the faith of the you know, like it's just a different song. So in Panama, their song, their whole community-wide ritual is this reenactment of slavery that celebrates the runaways and kicks out the Europeans like your mucus <laughs> is doing with the, the colonizers. <laughs> Expel the colonizers. You know what I mean? And that's what I thought was dope about it. Like they don't flip the, it's kind of like the N word in a way. They, they, they've taken a trope that in an American context is quite negative and they've resituated it in a way that is centered around pride. You know, and I think about, you know, Negus is another example of that. You know, how Kendrick Lamar at the end of, yeah. uh, was it To Pimp a Butterfly or was it? It was To Pimp a Butterfly. It was To Pimp a Butterfly. <laughs> he he reorient, reorients nigga as Negus, N-E-G-U-S. And he spells it out. He's like, nah, this is a part of our heritage and legacy. They say, yo, blackface isn't something to ridicule us. When I accentuate my blackness so that I'm even blacker than God blessed me to be, that's because being black is dope as fuck. Like, that's why we black ourselves up uh, every February for this festival. So yeah, man, that the history is important and our culture is a way for us to remember and to celebrate and to breathe life into the histories that sustain us. 
you know, as I, as I think about history, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the way that our ancestors root us in who we are, but also drive us to where our futures go. And I know you, and in preparing for this interview, I've gotten to know you more, um, and I've gotten to follow and study you and build a bunch of connections about you that I didn't know when we lived together. Um, but speaking of history, your dad was the lead architect, right, for the Museum of African American History and Culture uh, in D.C. And, and your mother is also a Grammy-nominated actress. And your brother is a faculty in information studies. It's funny because I teach at Syracuse University's iSchool, um, and I have definitely cited him not knowing that he was your brother. Um, and, and it's just interesting because if you look at history, legacy, and future, um, all these things for you in your life kind of continuously, you know, encompass one another, um, as do for many of us. And I'm, I'm just curious to hear from you about how growing with these greats and how, how the legacy of your family has helped you build a legacy and build your own family's legacy and, mm. and, and what that means for the, the potential future that you're building for, for your family. Okay, so I just want to paint a picture for your listeners. When you said, when you were talking about legacy, you went like this. You, you put a finger up. Everybody who's listening, put, put up one finger straight up in the air. Now, weave it in a, in a circle, you know, a circle, like the moon orbiting the earth. That's what you did when you were talking about legacy with your hand. And what I, what I saw when you did that was a celestial body. It was wow. like a sun that that's that's the orbit of the earth around the sun it's the orbit of the moon around the earth it's you know it's the orbit of our of our solar system around the you know in around the supermassive black hole in the middle of our galaxy and it's also it's also that's the macro you know what i mean that's yeah. as big as we can think that is the way that things move in circles and in spheres and uh, also at the at the most minute level, at the molecular level, our our atoms are are have nuclei and electrons go around them in a circle, and I think that's that's just the nature of the universe. And and that's also there's some um, African ideas around kind of the fractal nature of the universe. Kind of as you are big, you are also small. And so to me, like. That, that's how my family is organized and that's why it's important for us to claim our history because we will repeat cycles just mm -hmm. like the seasons It's winter every year you don't come up like dang it's cold out but <laughs> this happens every year like and and same way we can recycle traumas we can recycle false narratives about ourselves we can go through these cycles and spirals of uh of harm but also we can, we can inherit and pass forward uh, resilience and peace and, and love and understanding and knowledge and build on foundations that way. So it's really incumbent upon us to understand and to know our history and to pass forward those gifts that are and, and to learn from those uh, experiences that our ancestors had so that we can build a better future moving forward. And it's a real insidious thing. You know, part of the Black Holocaust was about, like we talked about, erasure of culture. They took away your name. They took away 
your identity, your language. We don't even get to dream in the language of our ancestors. You mm. know, and there's so much culture around. Anyone who's ever tried to learn another language, you understand there's so much of your culture and your people and your tongue and in the way that you speak. So those are some of the first things that, that were stripped away as our humanity, as they were attempting to, to strip our humanity away. And we need to get back into that and to claim that. And for me, you know, you, you mentioned everyone in my family except my sister, who's a visual artist, and Maya, which is my sister's name, you know, she stands in a legacy too of her great grandfather. Maya. Maya is my sister's name. Yeah, that's my daughter's name. So oh, see, that's, all these connections, I'm telling you. God, I'm form, sorry. <laughs> form like Voltron. I love it. Yeah, but my, my our great grandfather, uh, Alan Freelon Sr., was a painter during the Harlem Renaissance. And so she's carrying forward, you know, his legacy of art. So you don't always, you know, necessarily take something from one parent or the other. It's kind of an, an amalgamation. I uh, think about my great grandfather. I think about my grandmother, Queen Mother Frances Pierce, who grew up a sharecropper in Texarkana, Texas, but uh, you know was a community organizer and a faith leader and uh, a hairdresser. You know what I mean? There are things that I learned from her about entrepreneurship. She had a series of quotes that are still with me today. Keep an attitude of gratitude. You know, no is a love word. She used to say all types of wild you know, gems, drop gems on us. Lift as you climb was another one. So these are values that are my inheritance. And my goal as I think about my kids and their kids is to pass those blessings and those gifts and that knowledge and that wisdom and that legacy forward so that they can continue to build on a foundation. And um, I think, again, the strategy of white supremacy has been to instill a different set of values within us so that we can perpetuate uh, systems that are are harmful and anti-black liberation, sovereignty, freedom, and, and all that. So we need to we need to name that. We need to break generational harms and traumas and things that we've uh, carried over from uh, you know from from that time of great trauma. Um, and then we need to build new rituals, new culture, new systems, new ideas and ways of being that we want our future generations to embrace and take into the future. And that's how, I think that's how we get free. That That's how we do it. It's the only way to do it because you can't do it in one generation. It takes time. King said the moral arc of the universe, you know, it bends towards justice, but we're talking in geological, you know, forms <laughs> here. It's, it's not gonna happen in our lifetime. So we need to put that knowledge into our children so that they can take it into our future. You know, which is why I think the work I do with children's music and the role that museums play, you know, schools are some of the biggest patrons of the National Museum of African American History and Culture. They come yeah. in there and they learn. They learn things that I did not learn in, in, you know, English, math, history, science class, you know, in the public school system. So I think that, um, yeah, it's just vitally, vitally important that we tell our stories and we do it loud and that we, uh, yeah, that we um imprint in our children uh knowledge of self history and uh and give them the tools they need to to keep that legacy alive after we're gone you know i was i was struck by what you said a moment ago about you know we can't even dream in the language of our ancestors and you know for me it struck me because as i think about how do we 
imagine a future of liberation and, and even in my own academic and personal pursuits. Um, and as I said earlier in this conversation, I was introduced to, uh, or really, in, I don't want to say indoctrinated, but, but, but I'm okay to say that word. I think it's, it's in this context, quite positive. Um, I really helped to have a stronger political education um, through conversations with you uh, and a friend of ours, Sunjata Salam, um, who is another brilliant brother in and of his own right. Um, you know, thinking about Pan-Africanism, thinking about African Fractals, which is a great book that folks should purchase, thinking about the way that our language has both been stolen from us, but also the ability to dream. I did a lot of research in, and it's funny about the synergies, because I, I worked for the government of Panama at the UN um, mm -hmm. some years ago, and I was thinking about, at the time, sustainability and thinking about um, you know, the way that we rebuild, um, uh, you know, our, uh, our, the relationship between us and our planet and our communities, uh, from a Pan-Africanist perspective, I was thinking about, you know, how do we really understand what Black liberation means and, and how do we think about this through a Black feminist perspective so that it's inclusive and not in the way that we kind of disrespectfully use intersectionality, but really thinking about a truly intersectional future, um, and, and as I began to really think about that, uh, I began to remember, um, you know, watching LeVar Burton uh, in, in, Star, in Star Trek, watching these images, uh, listening to music, um, both from you and from my oldest brother and from my parents, um, and imagining what that different future could look like. And, you know, I, I do research in smart cities and sustainability. And I began to think about, well, how do we, imagine, um, and I, I think it's become in some ways positive because of um, Black Panther, what a Wakanda would look like, but really what what does our future look like? What does our realities look like? And, and I just, I think it's important if you can just break down for people first, what is Afrofuturism as a concept? Um, how, how has it presented itself to you? And why is it such a, an important tool for helping thinking about liberation beyond what we kind of confine um, the imagination to be at any given moment. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, for me, you know, there, you, can, you can look up Afrofuturism and find a myriad of, of definitions. For me, it's helpful to situate myself in history. I've been talking a lot about history today. And yep. um, when I think, well, what is an Afrofuturist? The, the first name that pops in my head is, is Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman is an Afrofuturist. Why is that? Well, Harriet Tubman was raised in a completely different world than, than the one we live in now. It was one where uh, slavery was a dominant paradigm and system. And here comes this sister who uh, saw a different future. She said, nah, I'm good. Like, we're not doing, we not doing that. We out. You ever seen the Harriet shirt? We out, Harriet yeah, we Tubman. Out. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, think about, you, you really just got to take a minute and imagine what it would have been like to be in her shoes. You can't just up and bounce. Like, they'll chop your leg off. They'll, you know, hang you from a tree, cut your balls off. Like, it's serious, the consequences mm -hmm. of escape from slavery. Separate your family, torture, death. It's, it's not pretty. 
And, and you know, an interesting thing about Harriet, when she was young, she suffered some head trauma. She was beaten and got knocked upside her head and had this really almost like waking dream thing, uh, an insomnia. I forget what the medical condition is called, but uh, was oftentimes in a dreamlike state even you know while awake because of this uh neurological trauma that she suffered and it's interesting because that ability to dream and really gave her a portal it gave her access to envision different realities i mean she was already bucking the system prior to the head trauma which is why they tried to silence her through physical violence in the first place but when i think about you know, when I think about dreaming as a metaphor from like King, you know, I have a dream, you know, it's a dream. It's not reality. You can't go at the pool. You can't sip at the fountain. You can't get the job. You can't buy the house because apartheid is the dominant paradigm that we live under. We don't have access to get to those things. So it really does take somebody who's a dreamer, somebody who can literally envision other realities. There's this uh, wonderful scholar, or collective of scholars who uh, follow and study uh, the works of Octavia Butler called Octavia's Brood. And, mm-hmm. and uh, two members of that collective, Adrian Marie Brown and Walida Imarisha, uh, often say this quote that I think is, is brilliant, which is all organizing is science fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, for Harriet to say we out, that's science fiction. You know, and for people around her not to understand or to be, you know, like she was envisioning a different world and then she worked to build and manifest that future. She was an Afrofuturist. She was projecting black liberation into the future through her actions and thoughts and speech and burning of, you know, uh, burning of uh, plantations and war tactics. She was a general. She was an OG. And that she is the quintessential Afrofuturist in my mind but not yeah. the, by no means the only one. Ida B. Wells, Mary McCoy Bethune, you know, Rosa Parks. Like, you just can't imagine what, it, what type of gully it took, you know, uh, for her and her predecessor, the, the younger uh, single mother, uh, dark skin uh, mama who, who preceded Rosa Parks, you know, cause we gotta talk about class and respectability politics too, if you wanna yeah. talk about intersectionality. Absolutely. In fact, I'm I'm showing my my privilege right now because I can't remember sis name. I'm just gonna own that. But listen, I grew up in America. You hear Rosa Parks every February. You don't hear. Yeah. You gotta dig beneath the dirt. You gotta get in the mud to find that uh, she wasn't the first one. I learned. I didn't learn that till I was in my 20s, and I've been hearing about Rosa since I was, you know, in diapers. So, you know, my memory. I've even been tricked. Uh, out of uh, understanding that our legacies of rebellion run deeper than we're told, you know? Uh, But anyway, how I tie that back to Afrofuturism, let's just stick with Rosa for the purposes of this, uh, for this, of this discussion. You know, it takes a radical imagination to be that gully and to move in that way. And guess what? That move changed the future. Afrofuturism. I'm shaping and changing and molding the future. That's what Octavia Butler says. All organizing in science fiction is a is an Adrian Marie Brown, uh, um, Walidi Marisha quote that I first heard through them. But the idea that 
God is change is, is an Octavia Butler quote. How are you going to shape it? Which, how are you going to shape the future? How are you going to bend the moral arc of the universe towards justice? It doesn't just lean with it, rock with it on its own, <laughs> just flowing through space time. You got to bend that shit. Mm, you got to squeeze it and bend it. And we've had some, yo, we've had some steel benders. You know, Avatar, the last airbender fans know what I'm talking about. We got some steel benders. <laughs> In the black freedom, in the tradition of the black freedom struggle, and those people were Afrofuturists. You know, they, they envisioned a world that didn't exist, they created it. And it's and it's no different than what a jazz musician does when they're soloing. It's no different than a you know an abstract painter working on a live. It requires imagination. Because if you can't envision it, you can't create it. So you envision it, you speak it, then you do it. That's what an Afrofuturist does. And, uh, you know, and when you're rooted, and, and that's why I think culture is a really important part of Afrofuturism. When you think about the term Afrofuturism and, and how it showed up in the 90s, it was literature. These were writers. It was a cultural movement. Um, but I extend the legacy of, of, that, of the radical imagination before the term emerged. We had Afrofuturists in, you know, some of the Black women that I mentioned and people like MLK and Malcolm X and you know, and, uh, you know, and people like Janelle Monet and Missy Elliott, you know what I mean? Creating lanes. Where was, where was Missy Elliott's lane? Mm. Where was it in the industry? She created it. Mm -hmm. And, and, and in doing so, uh, left a legacy for, uh, Janelle Monet to come into, for Lizzo to come into, for, you know what I mean? Like, that's what, that's what Afrofuturism is about. It's about creation. You're creating pocket universes, alternate dimensions in space time, and, and, and they become reality as you build them out. As you build the structure for them, they become reality. We stepped into the, uh, you know, into the vacuum that, uh, uh, that Harriet Tubman created and, and began to build on the foundation that she laid. She and others, it's not just Harriet, but I think that, that Afrofuturism really for me is about, yeah, it's like God power. You know, you create uh, the future that, that we need for our liberation. Um, yeah, so I think, that, I think that's rooted in the, uh, in the arts and in culture and in cultural movement workers, uh, like going back to Panama, you know, there, there's a whole week-long celebration, the Festival de los Diablos de Congos, that's all about telling that story about Black resiliency. And that's why you see Black culture still popping in Cologne and Portobello. Like, it's rich there because they tell their stories and celebrate, they hoist their ancestors up on their shoulders. And that's so important for our preservation. You know, as, as a Black creative yourself, um, you are nominated for a Grammy. Mm. You have had elected office. Um, you are a faculty person. You, you've achieved a lot. And I, I think um, one of the greatest achievements that I think resonates with me, I have not been nominated for a Grammy, so I just want to put that on hold. Um, <laughs> but you, you've achieved a tremendous amount, and it's, it's empowering to see um, to see that, 
but it also is impressive because of the way that you pay tribute um, to your family and also in your in your music. I mean, I, I listened to Black to <clears throat> Black to the Future a few times, um, and I, I just your family's in it. You, um, you know, you, you're you're hearkening this relationship. Um, and my wife is actually going out of town soon, actually out of the country. She's from Bangladesh and she's got to travel um, for, for family uh, issues. And my, my Maya uh, and I won't be going. And so uh, I've been braiding her, her hair. Um, mm. And, you know, being an uncle to many black girls, uh, I've got a lot of nieces. Um, I've, I'm pretty good at, I, I, I can braid. Uh, so it just it's interesting to, to 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 be doing it to my daughter. But you have a number of songs from Braid My Hair to First Day of School. This was Maya's uh, this year was Maya's first year in school ever. Um, mm. And she's going to school in a global pandemic. And it was petrifying and scary. Um, and there's just a number of songs on this album that I think both resonate with me and, and touch me in ways as a father, as a black man, as as an uncle. Um, as an Afrofuturist, and I just I want to give time and 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 do respect to the fact that you're nominated for a Grammy and the excitement that that has at the same time that your mom is nominated for a Grammy. And I would love to talk about the album with you and and just understand what was your inspiration for it um, and and why why these songs resonate uh, with you and and what feeling it was to be to be nominated for a Grammy. Yeah, thank you, Brother Yusuf. Uh, yeah, Black to the Future was, is, it's like, um, I don't even know, every time I go back and listen to it, I hear new things and make new connections that weren't necessarily intentional. It is a family archival project. Mm -hmm. It is an arc. That's mm -hmm. what it is. It's an arc, uh, a time capsule for the legacy of, of my childhood. You know, my grandmother's on the album that I mentioned. Um, I got, she's been deceased for 10 years. I found this Christmas 92 Durham, North Carolina talent show. My sister did magic show. Uh, I did some karaoke. My brother played bass. You know, my cousins were there. My grandmother read a poem. I found that poem on this tape. I ripped it off the VHS tape and digitized it and composed music you know, around it. And uh, my kids, you know, my, my eldest son is 13, Stella is 11, you know, they don't remember her. But literally this morning on the way to school, we listened to that song and they are in dialogue with their grandmother. They're in wow. dialogue with their, grand. well, that's their great-grandmother, maternal. Their grandfather, my dad, who passed away in 2019 is on the album. I'm on the album as a five-year-old in 1988, yeah. there's clips of me as a kid. There's, you know, my children and nieces and nephews are on the project. And what's interesting about all those voices, that collage of voices, is that you can never tell as you listen to the album. I realized this when I was listening with the, with the, the engineer who mixed the album. You can never tell when you hear a voice who's speaking. Is that Pierce from the 80s? Is that Justice from 2021? Is that you know, your grandma or your mom, like their voices sound so similar. And there's this arc that will be uh, a gift for future generations of my family. Like when I'm dead and gone or elderly or whatever, 
like my daughter will be able to play these records that she was on when she was 10 for her kids and her grandkids like and and what's in there is substantive stuff there are songs about vulnerability there are songs you know about something every kid will experience hopefully if you're blessed enough the first day of school let's be real that's a privilege especially for girls in this world there's some places where girls can't go to school so you know we want to name that and and uh you know and not just assume that that privilege is available to everyone and cherish it you know so i i think that for me that that's what the album is all about and the fact that my peers in the music industry have recognized it as excellent and have honored it with the grammy is great but i'll be honest with you bro like the most exciting thing when i think about the the long game you know it's not about the grammy nomination it's really that that my kids 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 will be able to open up or either take out a disc obviously cd players don't exist anymore so maybe <laughs> whatever whatever they're listening to music to whatever on, the medium right in 20 uh what would that be yeah, 2090 <laughs> you know they will have this arc of their family you know really since my grandmother we're talking about stretching from the 30s to the 2021 you know, as a moment of vulnerability, I think I cried a few times when you saying that. Um, I'm okay with expressing that. <laughs> um, fundamentally, because you know, my, my, my father died when I was five. And I often think about legacy and what my child will have. And last year, and people who, who listen, to this, listen to this podcast hear in the intro um, a moment that went viral um, in 2020. <laughs> still keeps going viral and I wonder to myself why it still keeps going and I think about legacy I think about not really having the memory but of my father but having um videos to look back to and I think about um would my father be proud of the man that I am and modeling myself into thinking about the kind of father husband man that I want to be and thinking about you know do do I weigh up to that uh, so I, just, I, I wanted to say that because I think it's important because I'm literally looking to my left at tapes and cassettes of the community that I grew up out of, the Black Muslim community in New York City. And there's history in those cassettes. And <clears throat> where I'm in recording this in my home library. The fact that I can say I have a home library is, is, mm -hmm. is, is one thing. In the city that my mother is from, my mother's from Baltimore, so we just moved from Syracuse to Baltimore. My mother lives here actually with us, you know, and, and she grew up not that far from here. And it's interesting because she left Baltimore in the 60s to go to New York City where I was born. Mm. So it's funny how these things kind of come full circle. Um, and and to, the, to the point of the legacy in the circle, it, it continues. Uh, so the album itself has helped me think through some of these things. So I just want to say thank you for that. And also inspired me to think about how do I pull together these histories so that the legacy of my father, of my mother, of my grandparents, of my ancestors, of my brother, of the Black Muslim community that I grew up in are continuing and are, are, are recognized and acknowledged um, and, and affirmed and, and spread. I think that, that um, what you said just, it struck me, struck me in that. And, and, and I know that we're not a video podcast maybe this might be the first episode that is actually video um because you would see me wiping my tears a few times and i just wanted to acknowledge if my voice cracked a bit it's because of that 
Um, in the last few moments we have, um, I think it's important to, to start where we, to end where we started. Uh, we started the conversation um, off the record with a narrative about, um, you know, the sniffles and reminding us about, um, about Syracuse. And, I, you know, I, I got my Syracuse University mug here, um, <laughs> go, go orange. Um, and I got to, to learn a lot about myself and, and, and mature intellectually and personally. I met my wife in Syracuse. My daughter was born in Syracuse, um, bought my first house in Syracuse. There's a lot of important um, political and intellectual development I had in Syracuse. And part of that was time with you and Sunjata, Benjamin and Laban, um, and, and, and roommates in, on South Beach Street, uh, mm-hmm. around the corner <laughs> from Westcott Street in Syracuse. Um, yep. One of those moments was uh, because Syracuse, if you don't know it, has, uh, is the most snowiest city per capita in America. And actually Ooh. that winter was one of the worst winters that we had. Mm-hmm. It's like the first time in like 60 years that the, that the university canceled classes because of how much snow we were having. We didn't have heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had this octagon, um, you know, heating system that just didn't work. And I don't want to disparage the, the landlord, but it wasn't working out too well for us in that context. But um, as we were breathing uh, and we can see the, the, the condensation crystallizing and freezing, um, <laughs> a lot of good conversations happen. I just want, I, I want to end on that note because it's, it's an important memory for me. And, and mm. um, I want to thank you for giving me time here today but we opened up on that, and I would love for you to end on that, if you would. Yeah, man. Uh, listen, bro, I, I appreciate uh, this conversation. And, you know, starting where we ended goes back to another theme of circles. There's this kind of Eurocentric idea that time is linear and there's a past, present, and future. But the, there are African concepts of a circular time. I think Sankofa is one of those. Look back to move forward. So I love that we're ending back on, the, on that chilly uh house is an old wooded house and yeah just imagine if if your listeners close your eyes and imagine some black brothers some african men whose ancestors knew nothing of these temperatures bundled up in blankets like pulled around our faces just like you know hovering around the kitchen because the stove was popping the heat wasn't on but the, the stoves were electric and uh, man, yeah, those were some tough times. I remember my, my fiance at the time, she's now my wife of 14 years, came to visit. She was like, what's wrong with you guys? Like, <laughs> get a hotel. I was like, hey, once you, if you bundle up, like you are, right. yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Like brothers were just willing to rough it. But my wife was like, nah, we're, we need a hotel room or something. I'm not sleeping in the cold. But uh, man, yeah, we we thugged it out and uh, and we made it, bro. That we were we were sharpened uh, not just by <laughs> nature, but by our conversations with each other. There was warmth in our relationship uh, that that uh, I still hold and felt, you know, looking at your uh, beautiful face today. So, yeah, man, thank you. It's good to see you and glad to reminisce with you for a bit. Thank you. I um, I miss you. I very much appreciate you deeply the contributions you've made to me. Um, I hope that I articulated 
um, the way that it's helped me grow and develop and be passionate about the things that matter uh, to me. Um, I hope when this pandemic is over and at some point, I hope that it is going to be over. Um, we get a chance to reconnect in person, um, introduce you to my wife and my daughter um, and our families. And, and um, I love you with the deepness of, of, of saying that. And thank you so much for, for honoring us in the Afro Future podcast for being here. Um, you have been listening to uh, a, a congested and teary-eyed Yusuf Abdul-Kair <laughs> with my friend, intellectual scholar, activist, creator, politician, uh, husband, father, son, uh, legacy builder, Pierce Freelon, um, who is the um, creator of Black to Future, where you can go to Apple, iTunes, uh, or wherever you download your music and listen to you, his Grammy-nominated uh, album. Thank you for being here, Pierce, uh, and we look forward to continuing the conversation in the future. Thank you. Peace. Afrofutures is produced by WAER Public Radio with Kevin Kloss.